0: Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. It is is the policy of the Biden administration to electrify transportation. Electric cars are coming, coming faster than many believe possible, but there are still some big bumps in the road ahead. The main one is probably charging, which has many issues like, what do apartment dwellers do? How is the changeover going to affect many businesses, like the repair side of car dealerships? How are we going to repurpose gas stations? And of course, who will be able to afford equipment to step up their domestic current from 110 volts to 240 volts, which is the desirable charging voltage, I'm told. To answer these questions, I have a panel of experts from the Edison Electric Institute the trade association for the nation's Investor owned utilities they are emily fisher general counsel corporate secretary and senior vice president of clean energy kellen schefter director of electric transportation and kwame kanti senior director of external affairs welcome all three and we'll begin with you kellen where are we with electric cars they are seen in more numbers, but there's still a very small minority of the total car fleet of the nation.
1: Yeah, great question, and thank you for bringing this topic uh, to this forum. You know, We're just getting started on electric vehicles. As, as you mentioned, you know, new car sales are only about you know, 2% electric today. There's about 259 million vehicles on the road in the US, um, so we're well less than 1% of those being electric. Um, but we see really positive signs for increasing growth over the next several years. Uh, our organization did a forecast looking at some external uh, sources, and we could see, you know, 18 million EVs on the road by the end of this decade up from, you know, 1.8 million today. So a 10x growth, less than 10 years. Of course, that's still just a fraction of the vehicles on the road, but uh, we see a lot of promise and, and and growth in this space, underscored by a lot of what you've heard from automaker announcements and and. Uh, policy pushes in this area as well.
2: I'm gonna um, step in already because I'm sure. like that. But I was gonna <laughs> say one of my favorite things to talk to Kellen about is just the like explosion of new EVs that are on the market, and every year we see more of them. And I always want to ask him what his new like favorite one is. So do you have a you have a favorite one that's that's coming onto the market or has already come onto the market? Well,
1: I hate to pick a favorite, but I would say we just heard that Ford is gonna announce an electric F one hundred and fifty I think next week. Uh, and the F-Series pickup truck is the number one selling vehicle in the U.S. for, for many years now. Um, so to have a, an EV option in that space is, um, we've heard from lots of folks, that that's going to be a game changer. So I'm, I'm excited about that one, Emily. I hope that wasn't too much of a cop-out for you. <laughs>
2: no, I, I kind of wanted you to say that one.
1: <laughs> okay, good. Where do we
0: stand? Kwame, I want to ask you, you used to work for the Congressional Black Caucus, and so clearly minority issues are of importance to you it's going to be especially difficult for electric vehicle owners in the inner city to charge their vehicles. Uh, have you done any work on that and how do you feel about it? Well, well yes, obviously when you live in uh, multifamily dwellings that
3: could be uh, of difficulty, but I-, I think working through building codes so that you have more dedicated charging space for those buildings like the one I grew up in that has you know, huge parking lots, I think in addition to, you know, if you're from an inner city like New York, nine times out of 10, you take public transportation or you, you use rideshare. And so working on fleet electrification, I think, is uh, critical. Also, um, school buses, public buses, uh, the trains in New York already run on uh, electricity, but uh, some of the other modes of transportation, particularly rideshare. And then in some of the larger cities, again, like New York, that's where I'm from working through uh, the Taxi Limousine Commission, um, uh, making sure you have more um, uh, touch points uh, for electric vehicle usage. uh, I think it's going to be critical for larger uh, urban urban centers. Uh,
0: What do you mean by touch points, Kwame? Well, for instance, again,
3: like I I take the bus or I ride the train or I'm calling Uber. Um, And uh, most times we would want to have an electric option for those folks who, who, who are not going to, who don't own homes or garages who can charge up on their own or, or don't have the, the economic means to, to purchase an electric vehicle or vehicle of any nature by that,
0: by that standard. Emily, what about the dislocation, that it's a disruptive technology in a sense? I mean, it's not a great time probably to be investing in new gas stations or uh, training your progeny to be auto mechanics. Uh, there will be a... A considerable falling off in those things as electric vehicles get more of a purchase. Um, well, what about the disruption and how should it be handled? I don't,
2: I don't know that I look at it as disruption. Um, I still think that we're going to need places while we're traveling to refuel. It's just a different kind of refueling. Um, you know, so you can look at potentially repurposing or adding EV infrastructure and EV charging to existing gas stations, they already are in places where people are likely to be traveling. Um, I'm still, I don't know about you, but I'm still gonna need to stop for coffee. So I think that those sort of ancillary services in and around gas stations still continue, um, probably maybe even increase because I I, am excited about the opportunities to maybe stop for a second while I'm traveling to charge my vehicle and maybe I'll spend more time uh, doing some of that uh, snack shopping. You know, as for the, the vehicle maintenance side of the house, the cars are definitely in need of less maintenance because the EV engine needs less maintenance than a traditional ICE engine, but they're not necessarily maintenance-free. So I have an EV. I actually just took it in for a regular checkup. These things still happen. I, you know, I went to my dealer, uh, had the tires rotated. Those all things are still <laughs> the same for vehicles. So I don't know that I think of it as, that disruptive, I think it maybe changes the focus of some of those existing businesses. And you know, I was really happy when I purchased my own EV, there was the the one guy at the the dealership who was the guy who was supposed to be the EV expert. I just think we need to train more people. I mean, I had to wait a really long time for him to be free um, because nobody else could answer any of my questions. But I think, you know, the traditional vehicle industry still exists. I, I think about the cars a lot, like I think about our members you know, I used to joke that, you know, we don't marry fuels, we date them. I think that's the same thing that's happening in the car space. And, you know, they're not married to oil or gasoline. They're they're, they're just dating it right now, and they're going to move on to maybe a, a different long-term partner when we do more transportation electrification.
1: How long does it take to charge an EV, Ellen? Well, so it really depends on, on, on where you're charging. So that's actually one of the, the challenges in explaining electric vehicles, but also one of the benefits. So... Um, you know, cars today spend a vast majority of their time parked. And the beauty of electric vehicles is if you can provide a charging station where that vehicle is parked, you can just charge while you're parked instead of having to go to, you know, a special trip just to refuel. So of course, number one is at home. And if you have the means to have a park dedicated parking space at your home, that's going to be the easiest solution by far. Um, second best option probably is workplace, right? Back if we return to a, a working uh, environment and in, in uh, places outside of our home, uh, which is not yet today, um, that is the second most frequent place that vehicles spend their time. And so that, of course, is a natural place to look for charging. And then as we've already alluded to, there are these needs for longer distance trips where you may want to stop and charge. Uh, and you maybe only want to spend 30 minutes, 15 minutes doing that. And The, the charging power, of course, in those instances are higher. Um, but really on the order of 15 to 30 minutes is is what's kind of needed to add enough electric juice to keep going to your next you know, three hour stop or something like that. So um, really depends on the use case, but you know, looking at overnight and then during the day at work are your easiest and, and most cost effective solutions.
0: What about the 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 electric supply, the 130 volts uh, versus the 240? It's easy in Europe. 240 is the standard. Yeah, we're uh 110, mm-hmm. one, one, 130. Is the standard you have to step it up, right? And that requires some installation of equipment. I
1: understand. You know, I, I'm surprised that the number of folks I hear who have uh, electric vehicles and they get away just doing the 110 volt outlet at home. I don't know if Emily, is that your experience? Um, it it kind of depends, right? So if if the if your average daily drive is 30 miles or less, you can get that no problem from a 110 outlet over you know eight hours at night if you're plugged in overnight. Um, the 240 volt as you mentioned kind of the, the circuit in your home that might serve you know your 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 higher end appliances um, that that can be installed in a garage for certain for certain and that, that'll certainly decrease your charging time overnight but if you really have you know a good 8 hours to charge you probably don't need that for your daily driving needs i don't know emily what's your experience have you considered doing the the that's level exactly two charging, as we call it at home.
2: Yeah. yeah, no, that's my, that's exactly my experience. Usually when I come home, I'm home for a relatively long period of time. You know, when I get home it, in the old times, when we went to the office, Kellen, mm-hmm. um, I would come home, I would put my car, I happen to have a dedicated space. I would put my car in the garage. I would plug it in. And, you know, that was going to be at least eight, if not 12 hours before I took it out again. And so it satisfied my purposes. I also charge at work. Um, maybe you've seen my car charging in our spot at work. And so usually between the two of those, um, and my commute's relatively small. So that worked out just fine for me.
0: That, that is not the average American car usage, where you have two points at which you can charge and a short commute or a short daily journey. Uh, I had a horror story from, a, because people know I'm interested, I've been interested in electric cars for a very long time. Uh, and because I'm interested in then people call me. And he told me a horror story about going from Washington down somewhere in the South and having mapped out how he thought he would get back and where he would charge it. And I can't remember quite why, but there was a a disaster and he had to stop somewhere for a long time to get enough charge to be able to get home. I was interested in a fellow I found out in California, I found him on the web, I think, and I talked to him on the telephone. He was an immigrant from Pakistan, so I found some difficulty in following his speech. But what he is doing is buying trucks and putting generator units on the truck so that if you run out, you call him up. And eventually, I suppose the AAA will do this the way they will deliver gasoline if you run out of gas. And he goes around and he gives you a quick jump till you, till you, I don't know how long that takes. I imagine about half an hour to get you to the next charging point. I think that's an interesting business. I do, brings, uh What do you think, uh, Kwame, what do you think the future of charging should be? Should it be done, provided by electric utilities because they sell the electricity, or should it be done by freestanding entrepreneurial companies unassociated with the utility? I think it should be a, a place for
3: all uh, actors to have a, a piece of the pie. Um, I mean, obviously, as uh, incumbents, um, you know, we're uh, best built to sort of handle all of our our customers and be agnostic about, you know, um, where folks live um, and just sort of focus on uh, meeting the need. Um, I think uh, with the current administration's investment in uh, charging infrastructure, I think that's really going to help alleviate whatever range anxiety customers may have. Because of the you know sort of chicken and egg prospect, you know uh, if if the customers see the investment being made um, in charging infrastructure and you see companies like General Motors, you know switching their fleets to an all electric um, options, you know I think you know you'll have more invested you know buy-in from from the customer base, and and ultimately that's what we want.
2: I don't know if Kellen would agree with this. My suspicion is that he might. But what what I think we see anecdotally is that our members, when they're able to install EV charging, actually grow a market that might encourage more third-party investors to participate in the the charging sort of arena. We're kind of uniquely qualified. We, we We have a lot of anecdotal evidence from members who put in EV charging, and then we see growth in the number of EVs sold in their service territory. And that might actually encourage more people to invest in charging infrastructure. So... Um, I think that there can be lots of people in this ecosystem. It doesn't just have to be us, but I think we have a unique role in sort of growing the market to make it possible for other third parties to maybe participate and to offer different services, including charging services.
0: It occurs to me when I see a large multi-story parking lot that every space in that should have a charger and that somebody should be making some money out of providing that service. And I'm wondering whether that... Will come about because of federal fiat and the role of the utilities, uh, or whether it'll come about like my friend with the flatbed truck and the charger out in California, a true entrepreneur.
2: I think one of the things that often is overlooked potentially is that the charging, the value of the charging, obviously is huge to the person that owns the vehicle, but that might actually not be the way you make money on providing charging services actually all of the data that they're collecting about where people are driving and how much they're charging is probably pretty valuable to a range of other service providers. It's probably valuable to our members because it helps them understand where the demand is and where they might need to make investments in their system to support increased charging. It might be really valuable to the automobile manufacturers who they'll learn more about how people are using electric vehicles and, and how that might influence how they continue to develop their products. So. I think there's a lot of different ways to potentially make money on offering charging services and selling electricity might not be the most important one and and i, I think that's an interesting way to think about charging it's it's actually creating a whole different business um well,
0: while you're talking about that emily there's the other side to electric cars and those who believe that they will become de facto a system for storing electricity for the grid that uh, unused electric vehicles will sell their charges back very much like solar panels on the roof selling back. And this will provide a new dimension of stability and storage.
2: I think there is the potential in the long term for there to be vehicle-to-grid interactions and for, you know, people to charge their cars at certain times and then discharge them at certain times to respond to grid needs. But in the nearer term, um, I actually see some real utility, no, no pun intended, um, about using electric vehicles and price signals to get people to charge when we have overproduction of, of renewables. That's a funny thing about renewable production is it tends to happen when there's a lot of the resource available, the sun's shining, the wind is blowing, and that might not match up that well with demand. And it's actually really efficient and helps us run our systems better if we could tell people to charge when we have that excess renewable capacity. So um, in the near term, I, I see vehicles less as doing, you know, discharging back to the grid and more at helping us use the system more efficiently by responding to price signals and charging when when we have that extra power.
1: Emily, like you mentioned, flexibility is going to be key, right? Um, more intermittent resources are going to need more flexible demand. And the, the beauty of electric vehicles, as we mentioned, uh, is they are parked a lot. That's a potential long time to be plugged in during the day, whether it's at home or at work or elsewhere. All that time could be leveraged to, to be dispatchable almost, right? Like you could direct EVs when to charge, it's beneficial for the grid and that benefits all customers. So I really I really view it as an extension of the flexibility that we're gonna to need to really deploy clean energy at, at scale and, and make sure EVs are really benefiting all customers on the, on the energy system.
0: You've been in the, in the electric car business probably longer than anyone else, Helen. It seems to be in your life pursuit. Um, uh, I wonder, how you see it going. I mean, do you see it as a sudden surge coming from 2% to say 50% is a very substantial
1: deployment of a new technology. So we have been advocating for electric vehicles at EEI for a while, Um, but as you mentioned, we are hitting this inflection point where I think the automakers see the writing on the wall. Transportation is the largest source of emissions uh, in, in the US. They're gonna have to solve this problem The grid is getting cleaner. It's an obvious choice to to look to that and leverage that. Um, But it is a matter of major transition for the, the automobile manufacturers, right? They need to figure out how to be profitable in this new technology. They need to solve the charging infrastructure problem, and we need to work with them on that. So there certainly are challenges, but I think we've seen clearer now than ever, particularly with the new administration support, that this is the path forward. Um, and that there is not really looking back, particularly at least on, on light duty vehicles, right? We could maybe talk about aviation and shipping and the challenges there, but when you talk about on-road vehicles, particularly light duty, electrification is, is the path, and I think it's just really a quickly a, a matter of how quickly can we get there and, and, and ensure that everyone can participate in the process.
0: I wanted to ask Kwame, who uh, you interface a lot in your job with the Congress and members of Congress, what is the attitude there? Are they welcoming the Biden initiatives? Is the idea of electric vehicles? And in the garages where they park their cars, uh, is they charging? It's a mixed bag.
3: You have um, some members that are very forward leaning in this space because they see um, the health benefits around clean air um, and in transportation. They also see uh, the, the potential aspects for, creating more jobs um, as uh, companies and uh, car manufacturers sort of transition. Uh, but the, do you also have some folks that have some more uh, questions around um, uh, how their community specifically will adopt these vehicles, particularly uh, members from more rural districts and states um, whose uh, constituencies, you know, sweat from nine to five versus, you know, sitting in, climate control areas on Zoom calls all day. Um, <laughs> but um, nevertheless, I think you know, once, we, once the industry offers more options and alleviates um, some of the range anxiety um, that it still exists, I think you will see you know, the public at large begin to adopt and feel more comfortable in purchasing an electric vehicle because there will be more options for them to charge uh, it it it'll be more natural in sort of our our, our, our society um uh, in addition, I think you'll have more options um for public uh usage uh of uh, electric vehicle options versus you know private uses with you know folks just charging in their homes or what have you
0: uh what are the legal issues that have come with electric vehicles there always seem to be legal issues. Uh, and uh, that's, that's important because we have a lot of lawyers and we have to keep them off the streets. Uh, <laughs> I'm You're
2: uh, Concerned about lawyer employment. I do think one of the issues we have to resolve, and it's an issue for Congress to resolve is is actually how we pay for highways. Right. So, you know, part of our highway funds are collected through taxes on gasoline if you're not going to be paying for gasoline. Um, you probably need to contribute to the upkeep of that infrastructure in a different way. Um, I think that's an issue that people have identified and have come up with a variety of potential solutions. Um, I think it's you know, important for drivers who use infrastructure. Like I feel very strongly that people who use our infrastructure should pay for it. And so I think that when I'm using road infrastructure, I should pay for it. So I think there are some fair ways to maybe assess different kinds of fees or collect revenues from you know, EV owners to make sure that they're participating in our larger national infrastructure upkeep. Um, so I think that's an interesting issue. It's, it's more regulatory than legal. Um, you know, there are some debates about the value of um, standards for spurring increased electrification in, in vehicles and EPA has just recently announced that it's going to move forward with some uh, more stringent standards, CAFE standards and other greenhouse gas standards um, for vehicles. Um, I, I think that's been the source of a lot of litigation over the last couple of years. Um, but, but I do think that that has historically driven increased efficiency in vehicles and I think will also help drive increased EV deployment. So those are the two that I, I think of often in terms of like legal issues.
0: You can now walk around with your cell phone and things in your ears, but no wire. When are we going to get rid of the wire in charging cars, electric
1: vehicles. Similar to your vehicle, the good question. I think there's an evolution of technology here. This is, none of this is static, right? And so more things are going to be ca- uh, you know, uh, possible as more capabilities come. But what you're talking about is, is called wireless charging. You essentially have a magnetic pad in the, in the ground and in the asphalt, and you have also a similar pad with some gap in the vehicle. And you can span that gap with an induced magnetic field. And you can charge the battery that way. There's a lot of expense and some safety and, and regulatory limitations around that. Um, but there are certainly our labs looking at that. Some high-end automakers are looking at that.
0: What do you see as the advantage, outside of, outside of the, um, the less uh, uh, pollution, but the advantages of electric cars? If you were selling electric cars, what would you tell people? Is it oh. the acceleration? Is it the quiet?
3: I think um, outside of the health benefits, I would probably go to um, uh, the cost savings that you will have down the road from some of the, the maintenance issues that you would be um, alleviated from. Um, you don't have to get the transmission fluid changed that would have you, yes, you have to get the tires rotated, but uh, for, for many individuals who lived on fixed incomes, uh, some of the wear and tear that go into that goes into the maintenance of a, a, a internal combustion engine could be you know quite expensive, particularly as the car gets older. And so that may have uh, an added advantage for folks, particularly as you have car companies that are offering more affordable options for customers to to get into the the EV uh, space. And so I think the added cost savings down the line could be of of benefit to people, particularly
0: on fixed incomes. Uh, Emily, why did you buy an electric car? Was it because of your employment or was it because you wanted to signal moral superiority or (laughs) simply because you think it's a better vehicle?
2: Um, I I will say actually that um, I happen to be uh, married to someone who's really interested in the environmental aspects of vehicle ownership. I I actually didn't own a car for a decade um, for a lot of reasons that have to do with the environment. But um, uh, we actually bought one of the first um, hybrid vehicles back in the the late 90s. So it's always been an evolution when we have owned a car to kind of look for the next thing. Um, My, uh, my husband's also a statistician so he likes to do his own numbers on like our charging efficacy and how far we go so I think it's mostly like an entertainment thing for him. Um, But I also love how quiet it is. After not owning a car for a decade and I, I got in a car, I lived in Europe for a while so I didn't need a car to sort of Kwame's point about population density sometimes meaning you don't need, you can use you can rely on public transportation. When I started looking at cars again when I moved back to the US I found them so loud. And so I actually really enjoy how quiet that car is, um, and well, I have a short commute, so it made a lot of sense for for how I use it. But Emily, it was, can it
3: I can I can I can I cut in there, Emily, really quickly? Yeah. When I worked on on Capitol Hill for Mr. Towns, we had a an issue with quiet cars. We had we worked on legislation to raise the noise standards <laughs> for electric vehicles because in our district, unfortunately, uh, folks who were hard of hearing kept getting hit by the electric vehicles, unfortunately. So to your point about
0: how quiet these cars are. Well, I think you're right. I worked with a man many years ago who was working on electric motorcycles. And the problem was the quiet. Uh, One of the safety devices for unknown for motorcycles or unrecognized outside of the motorcycle world is the noise they make. You know, when they're coming, you tend to look around. You tend to, uh, uh, you know, know where they are. When, when they made these, uh, and they were really even quite efficient on lead acid batteries because you don't need so much power to propel a, a motorcycle, but he never overcame the quiet challenge. And they tried to make all sorts of friendly, nice noise, but artificial noises are very, very hard to make. And it's very hard. This program does not uh, make artificial noise. It makes good intelligent sense. That's our show for today. Thank you for coming along. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are there.